Welcome to the Inrooted Podcast, where we believe it's our biblical duty to work the land and that scripture provides wisdom for our everyday walk in life. This is your podcast where faith intertwines inspiration, new perspectives, and practical tips for your forest management and land ownership journey. Let's get started. All right, today we're going to be talking about a slightly touchy subject. And really, I'm hoping I'm talking to the choir here. I'm preaching to the choir, and I really, really pray I am. And I pray you have no experience about what I'm going to be talking about. And it's all about property boundaries. Now, why is this controversial or a touchy subject? Or why am I praying that you're going to have no idea and have no examples or experiences and be able to relate to what I'm about to talk about? Well, if you have heirs property or if you had heirs issues, you may have heard some horror stories about your property boundaries and you might believe you have your land in some place. You might believe you have a certain amount of land. And when you go out there to check or you actually do the measurements, it turns out perhaps you have way less. And it's simply because of encroachment. Now, what is this encroachment? How does this happen? We're first going to go to scripture here and understand exactly why this is such a a big problem. Why this is so just heartbreaking at times. All right. So I'm going to quickly preface all of this with Proverbs 23:10. Okay. Proverbs 23:10. Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless for the de- their defender is strong. He will take up their case against you. Do not move an ancient boundary stone. Now it's funny because over time we've noticed our memories get forgetful nature actually changes and and evolves. If you live in the Midwest or the Western areas, you kind of have everything laid out as a perfect little grid, you know, one mile by one mile, perfect squares, especially in your ag fields. If you live in the Southeast or even Northeast, our boundaries aren't quite laid out so strategically. Our references actually to our boundaries, especially if you go back to the original deeds or back in history to like when the land was first uh, purchased perhaps, or inherited, you will notice notes such as large oak trees, wells, walls, to that um, rock, boulders are often referenced. And because nature is nature, and also human expansion and development, wars, um, other just natural catastrophes, these boundary markers may not quite be there, may not quite be so. And on top of that, sometimes distances are talked about, you know, move 27 marks or or walk 27 feet or 27 steps or 500, you know, linear steps that way. Depending on who actually walked it, depends on how far that distance may or may not been. Now, thankfully, we have come a long way with our survey work and we're able to be a lot more accurate. But this is still a warning sign for us that when we do not keep up with our boundaries, encroachment can happen and it's not going to be like a a sudden taking of five acres 10 acres because that's something that you probably would notice rather drastically especially when it comes to harvesting trees when trees are harvested and if trees are harvested on your property you've noticed perhaps that they've taken your your trees in your in your land base especially if they start marking that areas but let's share an example that I personally have seen when I was working as a forestry intern in Alabama, okay? So my whole job 
was looking for boundaries and where boundaries and the GIS maps, which GIS mapping is what foresters use to kind of do their due diligence, kind of create their softwares and maps so they can kind of make their recommendations and look at the big picture as a whole. So my job as an intern was to line up real on the ground property lines with what GIS and what our land record said, and especially on those properties that they had leases on the, the company I was working for. The leases, uh, the 99 year leases, which used to be a very common practice for landowners to lease their land to timber companies for their trees. And a lot of these were running out and they wanted to make sure that all the boundaries were, you know, still lining up with what was originally agreed upon back in the 30s or the 40s or the even the 50s on the later end of things. These are old leases and they were using old boundary references. So, for example, I went out to this one particular track and I was trying to verify that what I had on my mapping system, my little paper map, my GIS points, my little GPS here, and what I was seeing on the ground was true. Or were the lines off? Because especially as employees transfer over, time moves on, and we have improved our software systems, lines start to move slightly. It's not a big deal, right? It's just like a little, a little pinky hair that we've moved it over on the software system. It's just, okay, so we didn't line it up perfectly with the stream bank because there is a difference between what you look at on the, the aerial maps and what you see on the ground. Sometimes it's like a three feet difference, a five feet difference, but compounded over years, that three feet, of difference from the aerial line that they drew on the map to what's actually on the ground, multiply that out, that can now become 30 feet or 50 feet. And this can be a huge problem, especially when it comes to harvesting, because now it's considered a timber theft because you took someone else's timber, even if you had the best of intentions. So I said I was gonna come down to how encroachment and these things can accidentally happen. So I went to this property line, I was trying to verify, and a timber harvest had just occurred, okay? So there was no trees pretty much left. Now there should be some type of markers still on the ground that I should be able to follow, but common sense would tell you, okay, so we cut our trees, what's the big deal? It should be easier at this point, right? Because we should be able to see the clear cut and we should be able to just follow whatever that clear cut was. That would be true. If the neighbor didn't also cut at the exact same time, the exact same time, and he actually cut the boundary trees. So I now have no boundary trees. Both sides of the property are completely clear cut. Can we see the problem here? Can we see how a 20 year old intern trying to find property boundaries, verifying them, with their little GPS that they have in their little paper map, first time experience, I think we can try to figure out, you know, where these issues occur. Thankfully, I was not in charge of actually marking. All I had to do was put flagging areas of like where I thought there might be an issue, mark it on my map. Hey, we need to get somebody else a little bit more professional on land surveying to come back and check this out. And I marked it on the software system that, hey, there might be a problem here. We need to get somebody else higher up the chain to come. So I pretty much just weeded down instead of the, the higher up spending all their time to look at absolutely everything because it wasn't all the properties. I was looking for the few percents that may have had some major issues here. And my job was then to help delegate them and that way they could really narrow in and focus. But 
that's just one example one example in the see I, so I guess that was 2012 in 2012 when I had that experience in that internship when this happened and if that can happen in 2012 just imagine how much boundaries couldn't get mixed up back in the 90s the 80s the 70s the 50s the 40s my job was also that if i saw that there was an issue i had to go through and look at historical maps and figure out where did the problem occur when did the problem occur and it was actually rather fascinating because usually you could figure out at what point in time that the boundary probably got shifted and it almost always occurred with a timber harvest and another accompanying timber harvest or some type of cropland associated right next to it. That's when it usually happened. And I would able, be able to go back into these old historical um, airplane, satellite, um, aerial photographs, and I would pinpoint, okay, there's an issue on this property. It looks like it happened in 1967, according to this Google Earth or this, this uh, paper aerial map. Sometimes I had to go through the files and actually find it. But we are warned here in Proverbs not to move our ancient boundary stones. And we may not intentionally move these things. I've already, you know, given you a couple examples right then, two of which that I had worked on personally, seeing how unintentional moving of these boundary stones can very easily happen, especially in the Southeast. With the best of intentions, with all the best of software, best of technology, best of stewards trying to make sure we're doing what's right boundary stones, property boundaries can still move. And then sometimes they move only three feet, maybe not a big deal. Three feet multiplied over years, three feet multiplied over hundreds and thousands of acres starts to become a little bit more of a big deal and therefore can become very, very complicated. Now this happens so often with heirs properties too. Now I've had some experience working with heirs in the sustainable forestry and land retention program back when I worked with the state and a couple years as a private consultant after that before Land and Ladies officially started. And um, I would hear stories about these families talking about their family land that they've gotten from their, their grandfathers. And these land bases weren't passed down with wills or with uh, clear succession plans. And so you have heirs properties, which is simply just passing on assets, especially real estate assets without a clear will. And so therefore, according to whatever your state's law is, depends on how the ownership gets divided up. And it can get real messy when there's multiple siblings or divorces and, and multiple children, especially. And then again, compound that over years and years and years and the family tree starts to really, really grow. And so I would hear these stories about these families who, who have inherited or have this um, family land back from their great granddaddy. And they'd say, okay, it's, it's about 120 acres. I'm like, okay, so we're doing our due diligence. They're trying to get the family on board. They're working with the legal side, getting their heirs and clear title sorted out. And while they're doing that, I'm doing my side of the due diligence for forestry and saying, okay, what can we work with? What does this look like? Understanding what their goals are for the future. And so I can write them appropriate management plans. We just talked about objectives and goals and that communication with foresters and prioritizing those things so foresters can provide you the best plans. Now let's bring it back down to your properties. We have to understand where your property boundaries are to be able to really kind of guide you the best way and making sure everything is very ethical that you are working with what you have ownership of because you don't want to sell or work on somebody else's land base so i would be working with these families they say i have 120 acres i go out 
and I pulled it up on my GIS system according to the land tax assessors websites. So this is what they are getting charged on tax assessors. And sometimes it'd be more, you know, maybe it might be 140 acres. Most of the time though, it'd be way less, way less than they thought, like 80 acres. They thought they had 120, but it turns out they are missing 40 acres now. I'm like, okay, tax assessors is sometimes wrong. They don't always get it right. Sometimes their lines, like I just told you, move and aren't quite right. What's measured on the ground? So I'd go out and I measured on the ground and tax assessors wasn't right. It was off by about five acres though. So now it's 85 acres. It's still not that 120 acres. Now they have written proof that it's supposed to be 120 acres. There's no written history of where this 35, 40 acres had went. There was no transfer, no selling of the land. They just vanished. And it gets so complicated because how did this occur? When did this occur? When did this land encroachment happen? And I don't want to ever want to blame anybody because how do you tell take somebody else's land that, that bought it with their understanding of, that it was free and clear and that they now have 50 acres when maybe 10 of that acre should have been somebody else's, but it's been now 40 or 50 years since anybody's noticed. It's a really sticky, tricky situation. And it's a situation I want to help you avoid. Now, if you're in this situation right now, I do recommend like get yourself a good estate planning lawyer and try to go through whatever that due diligence process and, and legal steps are. If you are someone that maybe is looking at passing on land or has heirs property and you haven't meddled with it, there are huge risk factors when it comes to heirs property. And I highly recommend going to get that sorted out because it's an amazing asset, but it has to be sorted out. You have to have clear title. Now, to help you avoid getting there, we're going to say and pray that you are not in that situation that you've slowly lost land, that it's just magically disappeared because that's essentially what it's like. It's just magically because the other party, the, the, the couple that I was talking with, the other party had their deeds going back to their grandfathers showing that they owned it. There was clearly an overlap, but no one had evidence of buying or selling in this mysterious middle ground land. So it comes down who's right, who's wrong. I don't know. Proverbs warns about this though. And it mostly is warning about, you know, intentionally stealing land. And that's why I'm saying I pray that I'm not talking to you if you were, were even considering this because we're all good people right here. You know, we, we're gonna have the best of intentions. We wanna make sure we're doing good stewards. So we would never even dream of stealing land. But best of intentions that aren't properly managed can have unintended consequences. And those unintended consequences, especially in the Southeast, can be detrimental and dire when it comes to our property boundaries if we do not keep up with them. So I'm gonna give you some steps that I recommend that you can do starting this point forward if you have never done anything with your property before, if you've never even looked at your property boundaries, I'm gonna give you some steps to help you from increasing your risk of encroachment, losing land unintentionally, or getting in this weird, messy situation. Maybe not necessarily for you, but for your kids, because we don't wanna leave this type of hot mess for our kids either, okay? So what are those steps that I do recommend? One, know your boundaries. That's the 100%, the first thing you need to understand and know is where are your property boundaries? You need to be able to say that starts here and goes up there, to the left, to the right, wherever it actually ends up going, to the river. You need to have some solid natural resource 
references if you are using natural boundaries. If your lines aren't perfectly straight, if they do follow some type of uh, natural reference like a stream bank, a, a significant boulder, um, significant trees, it's fine to have those references, but make sure you know exactly where it is if something was to happen to them. So say for example, that tree falls down, it gets caught by lightning, struck, falls down. Trees fall down all the time. Maybe it accidentally gets harvested. Perhaps a tornado comes through, wipes it out. That stream bank, perhaps a hurricane comes through, maybe straightens it out, maybe some uh, urbanization and, and um, you know development expansion causes it to be ditched out. Now that's a lot harder to do these days because of the Army Corps engineers and you know the Clean Water Act and such, but it's not impossible to think that that curvy line of stream might one day straighten out. Water changes the land base pretty drastically, especially if you're anywhere near a dam. If that dam falters in any form or if new dams are placed up, it's going to change the watershed as a whole. So you need to know exactly where your boundary lines are, even without those natural ref references, if something was to happen to them. And that's where number two is going to come in, where I say to mark your boundaries, not just the corners. Don't just mark the quarters, physically mark your actual boundary lines. Now you don't have to mark every 10 feet. It's usually recommended about 100 feet, every 100 feet, maybe 150 feet if you have very clear understory. But you wanna make sure that as you're walking, you're able to follow through paint after paint, flag after flag. It doesn't really matter to me whether you choose flagging or painting. Personally, I prefer that you do paint your trees or at least some of your trees, especially the major ones, because people can tear down flagging very easily. Also, when you're doing other type of management activities and you start putting up different color flaggings, your boundary flagging could accidentally be ripped down in that process. So I do highly recommend painting your trees as boundaries. There's some really neat colors that you can pick. Most common boundary colors are usually white. Blue is usually not recommended for boundaries because they have other significance for forestry. Purple can help you with some no trespassing um, legal coverage as well if you're in a purple paint state law type of thing or purple paint law state. There we go. I can say it right. I promise. Um, Georgia's not one of those, but several other states, especially in the Southeast, have a purple paint law, which essentially means if you paint your property boundaries with purple paint and it has to be a certain size and a certain placement at a certain height, of course, um, that you are essentially kind of putting up an unofficial no trespassing sign. It does the same kind of coverage as putting up those no trespassing signs proper private property around your your uh your your property i'm saying that way too much but around your land base if you paint it purple it gives you that same amount of coverage that if something was to happen you've essentially said hey this is private property do not trespass and it does reduce your liability if someone was to try to sue you out there not true for all states i have a blog article that you should go check out um, that does reference which states and kind of those details for purple paint state laws but paint your boundaries and not only painting them but refreshing them every five years. That's my recommendation. You don't have to necessarily do it every year. The paint's not going to fade that fast. This isn't your ordinary indoor house paint. Get specific tree paint, tree marking paint. It's gonna last way, way longer than any paint out here that could get washed away very easily. And so, but I do wanna make sure you're going out there and you're refreshing it or checking on it about every five years. 
This is going to refresh your memory, making sure you understand where everything is. Ideally, you would be telling the next beneficiary where these boundaries are, and it's going to help keep you and your eyes on if there are any encroachment problems, any issues that are starting to occur. And again, just refreshing it, making sure it's as vibrant and as notable, seeable as possible, not just for you, but for others around you while they're doing their work, their management, making sure that that is very clearly defined. If you have your lines very clearly seen, very visible, it really helps with any type of argument. If something was to happen, perhaps a timber harvest goes over on your line, hunting, whatever it may be, your property lines are clearly marked. It gives you that extra guarantee and protection. So every five years, I want you to go check out your property lines. A third thing you can do, which isn't really a third thing because it's a second thing because that first one you really should be doing by knowing your property boundaries to begin with. But another uh, next level I would recommend personally is putting fire breaks around your property boundaries. Now you can do some internal splitting up of the property, but I, I personally love having fire breaks around the boundary on the inside of that those painted tree lines that we just put up or the flags. Why do I like a fire breaks? Again, especially in the Southeast and especially along the coastal areas, those fire breaks are gonna one, provide you extra maintenance uh, clearance access. So you'll be able to check and maintain your property boundaries so much more easily because you'll just be able to walk through. You won't be like fighting the brush, trying to get through, having to bring your ax or hacksaw or, or whatever machete that you might have to just walk your property boundaries. Again, depending where you live. Where I live, things grow up really quickly. So a fire break is gonna give you a little bit wider girth. It's gonna give you more clearance. And then, especially if you put up any type of posts or fencing, or if you just need to do some periodic maintenance, it's gonna give you that ability to reach whatever those problem areas might be. Especially if you put up some maybe um, some chicken wire fencing or hog fencing or something with your boundaries, if you had cattle, for example. So your fire breaks are gonna give you that access. But another great benefit is it's gonna give you a little bit of a preliminary wildfire break buffer. So say a wildfire happens from your property, it's going to help give you that extra uh, protection from it going on to somebody else's. But more importantly, if a wildfire occurs on your neighbor's property, it's gonna help protect your land just even a little bit more from that wildfire encroaching. Now, that true protection only happens if you refresh your fire breaks every single year. You can't have any like leaf litter, debris, pine straw in there that a fire could easily uh, cross over. But in any case, it will greatly reduce the vegetation that's out there that will help you know, slow down a fire or if you are refreshing them every year, prevent a wildfire from getting onto your land and potentially causing some damage or especially detrimental damage to your, your trees that you are trying to grow for investments, for ROIs, for retirement, for college funding, or simply maybe some wildlife enhancements you're trying to grow and trying to protect because you're doing your own burning at your own time. So that is one of the huge benefits of putting fire breaks along the property boundaries. I love fire breaks a little bit of everywhere, but especially on the boundary ways. Make sure though, when you do install your fire breaks that you are following all best management practices. If you have no ideas what those are, you can always go to your state agencies, like in Georgia, Georgia Forestry Commissions, drop down, download the best management practice manual. And there's a whole section on fire breaks that gives you just a little bit of guidance. It's always very dependent on slope, what you have going on out there, 
and any significant water features that you need to be aware of. Again, and if you want it very, very cut, um, cut blank for you, very specific for you, just go to your local county forestry unit and ask the rangers there to give you a quote for fire breaks and explain how this process works. Why are they putting water bars here or turnouts there or wires and turnouts perhaps? And they'll be able to explain why we do these certain things for soil erosion, for protection of your land and to help keep waters clean. Lastly, permanent corner features. Now, I know when your land gets surveyed, they automatically put out permanent corner like caps or uh, little stones or whatever it may be. But usually those are pretty flush to the ground or very, very low, uh, low to the ground. And they can be very hard to see. I personally would recommend putting up something much bigger, taller metal stake in the ground, throw a ton of flagging on it, do some extra painting on that tree. Usually corner trees or corner boundaries are gonna have a different paint sequence. Usually it's like three lines or two lines to show that you're turning directions, but put something permanent where this corner is going to be. So again, if that tree was to fall, you still have some type of uh, bigger reference that'll be a lot easier for you to find should you need to find those corners in the future. So that is it. That is it for today. It's not exactly a fun conversation I like to have about property boundaries. It's not exactly the sexiest or the most luxurious topic to talk about, but it can make a huge difference for you, your family, and your, your land's future of what is possible out there, and especially for your children's children, which we know also in Proverbs, we should leave a an inheritance to our children's children. But according to Proverbs, we need to make sure we are taking care of our boundaries, that we are not intentionally moving boundary stones. And I would also say, make sure we're doing everything we can to not even unintentionally move our boundary stones, e either for or against our benefit. Until next time.